Blog Talk Radio. Find yourself in danger when you're threatened by a stranger When it looks like you will take a licking <laughs> There is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you Just call for Super Chicken Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show Brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer Author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Please visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Hey, it's The Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Introducing the Bright Tap Chick Feeder, the cleaner feeder that grows with your flock. The Bright Tap feeder is designed with a unique shield that prevents chicks from standing on the feed tray and pooping into their food. The shield keeps the feed clean, so you spend less time cleaning the feeder. And when your chicks grow up and leave the brooder, you can use the Bright Tap feeder outdoors to give your adult chicken scratch, grit, and oyster shells. The unique shield also prevents rain from getting into the feed tray and spoiling the food. The Bright Tap feeder fills easily through a lid in the top. No more spills or wasted feed. To learn more, visit our website, chickenwaterer.com. That's chickenwaterer.com. Give the chicken back. 
Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Beach. Hope you're having a great day. Um, it is two, excuse me, it is Wednesday, and we've got a great show lined up for you today. We have Peter Brown also known as the Chicken Doctor, joining us again this week. He joined us on Monday, and uh, we talked about scaly leg mites on Monday. Great show, large listenership for that show, and uh, we expect uh, a lot, of course, uh, with this show, as we always do. This show is what we like to call Open Mic or Ask the Chicken Doctor, and uh, we uh, reach out to Twitter followers and Facebook fans and and um, we get questions emailed to us as well via the email and the website. But we're going to be taking your questions, both from Twitter and Facebook, and ones that have been emailed to us through the chat room. And, um, and of course, even call-ins. If you're listening live and have a question for Peter Brown, you can call us as well and ask your question live on the air. We have 50 open phone lines uh, or available phone lines at any given time. And that number is 347 637 237. Again, that's 347-637-3237. You can call in and ask your question to Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State Vet Supply. We've got several on our Facebook page. As soon as Peter calls in, we'll get right to the show and right to the questions. As always, we start the show with a couple of reminders. Uh, we're giving away not one but two chicken coops right now. We've got one chicken coop contest going on in the summer edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Uh, that contest is sponsored by Urban, and uh, go check that out at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. And uh, no purchase necessary to enter that whatsoever. It is a uh, brand-new uh, developed starter coop with Urban Coop Company, and uh, go take a look at that. I'm sure you'll be pleased with that contest. And, of course, we're having a Facebook fan contest right now that runs to the end of the month uh, with Snaplock Chicken Coops, uh, dot com. And it actually is their larger coop, the Snaplock coop. Lots of advantages to that uh, plastic material uh, as well. 
So um, take a look. There's two ways you can enter a brand new chicken coop uh, right now with, for uh, backyard poultry with the chicken whisperer. If you little, a little bit of noise in the background, we uh, we were running, cutting it close, but we um, we just got to uh, the next stop in our journey uh, here in Fair Play, South Carolina. Yes, right off 85, Fair Play, South Carolina, and we'll be here for about a week. And uh, we were just getting set up. I don't know. I was literally lowering the jacks on the RV. Uh, as I was coming in and getting set up to do the live broadcast. So it is super hot outside, probably uh, 95, 97 degrees. So uh, the uh, the kids are inside. We just had lunch, and so you may hear a little bit of background noise with them playing or fighting over a toy or who knows whatever. So uh, that's just uh, that comes with the territory when you listen to this radio show because with me, you know, and from my post, family comes first. So. Uh, and it was a family affair. We traveled together in the RV all over the country, in 32 states in the last 13 or 14 months. So um, that's the background noise you may hear. And of course, when Peter comes on and he's answering these uh, important questions, I'll put uh, my mic on mute. So that'll be, uh, you'll be able to hear that when, when he's answering uh, these important questions. We've got a lot going on. I'm very excited and proud to be attending a uh, 4-H uh, meeting this Saturday, actually, near Clemson University. I believe it's called the the uh, Clemson 4-H Oconee County 4-H group. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, this Saturday, a bunch of, I believe, the third, fourth, and fifth graders will be there uh, getting started with their backyard poultry and uh, showing poultry for 4-H. And We're going to talk a little bit about incubation and brooding, um, things about poops. Uh, I'll really stress predator um, preparedness. And again, uh, looking on some of the blogs and forums that are out there just every single day. It is just nonsense on how many uh, predator attacks that, that happen out there. And uh, I would say 90% of these can be avoided just by doing your research ahead of time, not jumping the gun, and most importantly, spending the money required and needed to make a predator-proof and slash-resistant coop and run. And if you free-range folks, if you just plan on free-ranging your birds, uh, there's no reason about crying when you have an attack. You should expect that. I tell folks a lot of times, and this is exaggerated, but it gets the point across uh, in all my workshops. I tell folks, hey, look, if you're planning on free-ranging, um, uh, according to what that truly means, if you're going to free-range your flock and you want to free-range 100 chickens, go ahead and buy 200 because eventually you'll probably have 100 due to all the predators. And everybody loves chicken, and predators have nothing but time on their hands to figure out how to get to your chickens and get that free chicken meal. So, I mean, nobody likes to, to see that. Nobody wants to experience that. Of course not. But if you're in a free range, hey, that comes to the territory. You need to be prepared to lose some of the predators. So don't be surprised. Oh, my gosh, I lost something to free ranging. Did you not do any research before you went down this road? Yes, so expect to lose birds to predators if you free range. There, you heard it first right here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. So, um, uh, how do I deter a flock? How do, how do I deter hawks uh, when I free range? Um, don't free range. <laughs> you know, sure, you can hang some bright colored uh, music CDs uh, from the trees if you want to, but hey, you're still taking that big chance. Uh, you can hang reflective tape in the trees if you want to, still taking that big, big chance. Uh, I guess you can put some flashing lights on a 40-foot uh, tall pole and face them in every direction um, all over your, your 50 acres, but again, you're taking a chance. So uh, it's just one of those things. Um, uh, yes, if you free range, be prepared to lose some birds. 
So, um, but yeah, so um, we got uh, Peter Brown just called in, and we've got Ask the Chicken Doctor today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Let's go ahead and give him a big Chicken Whisperer welcome. All righty, how awesome is that? Hey, Peter, how you doing today? Oh, all right, Andy, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Let me get over here to the Facebook page. We'll start over here. I also had a couple of questions emailed to me. Maybe we can get those uh, uh, answered as well. Of course, I'm always going to start with the top of the list, and we'll go through this up until about uh, up until about one o'clock, and then we'll call it quits. And I want to remind everybody tomorrow uh, we have a poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McCray, PhD, coming on. And uh, tomorrow's topic is. Um, rodent control in and around the coop. So a uh, very, very timely and very important topic. Let's start off with this. Um, very good question from Lisa uh, down in Florida. When you vaccinate your adult breeder birds, will any immunity or benefit be passed on to their chicks? And if so, what vaccines should be given? Uh, it's an interesting um <clears throat> Interesting question. In uh, actuality, uh, I don't think we've really been uh, asked that type of question in that particular way. Um, most of the vaccines uh, uh, that you would use, uh, you know, are going to give you some passive uh, immunity. Maternal antibodies passed on through the egg, but they're not long-lasting. Um, it requires then, um, you know, vaccination. Uh, of the offspring in order to maintain uh, immunity. So there will be some that comes through. Uh, in some cases, uh, for instance, uh, we don't want uh, maternal antibodies to necessarily be too high, but we don't want them to be too low either. And that is um, the reason for that would be the timing of the vaccination uh, of the young birds, of the offspring, from those breeders. So let's say um, uh, let's say you are using a, a Gumboro vaccine. Gumboro is a, uh, a uh, virus uh, that is commonly used in the commercial poultry industry. There are some backyarders that use it. For the life of me, I don't know why. Uh, probably scared more than anything else or read some blog somewhere that somebody was doing something or whatever. But uh, Gumboro disease is uh, the chicken equivalent of AIDS, so to speak. Um, it attacks the immune system uh, through the bursa fabricius, which is uh, otherwise known as the bursa, uh, located at the very tail end of the intestine on the inside of the bird, just under where the oil gland would be, uh, for uh, physical reference. Um, so birds that uh, are uh, have too high a maternal antibody level coming through well, it would be protected for maybe two to three weeks. Then it becomes a problem trying to time the vaccination of those offspring with the live uh, Gumboro vaccine to give them further protection. Okay. If there are no maternal antibodies coming through uh, from the uh, breeding stock, if the breeding stock were never vaccinated, those antibodies for this are not going to come through and as soon as the birds are exposed to this particular virus, uh, it is going to cause the uh, uh, irreparable damage to the bursa, which in turn will uh, 
cause irreparable damage to the immune system. The uh, bursar is responsible <clears throat> for producing all of the B and T cells for the bird's immune system, and then they migrate from there to the thymus up on the neck and, and uh, to different parts of the bird's body. So it's a matter of timing, but it's also a matter of um, deciding what you need uh, to do for the area you live in. In, in uh, most backyard settings, um, I don't suggest that people do uh, vaccinations for most uh, diseases. It, it depends on uh, what your exposure level is. Um, a lot of people don't understand the vaccinations, uh, so I'll go through a little bit of it because I think it's worthy. It's a good question, and, and it really... It really will allow us to get some information out there. We've talked about vaccination before, but it's, it's certainly a good idea to bring it back up again. So uh, let's say for argument's sake you want to vaccinate for whatever the reason may be for Newcastle and bronchitis. Okay, It's a common uh, combination vaccine, one part being Newcastle, the other being bronchitis. Uh, Newcastle, more of a uh, nervous system uh, uh, type of a virus, can cause some respiratory issues, but predominantly uh, you'll see nervous issues, twisting of the head, the neck, stargazing, uh, looking up, looking down, uh, that kind of thing. And I don't mean just a bird that's doing that for the sake of it. I mean doing it constantly, and you'll know it when you see it. Uh, it moves relatively quickly through a flock. Uh, bronchitis being a strictly a respiratory uh, type of a, a virus, uh, gets into the bird's system, does uh, lung damage, uh, uh, causes a lot of mucus to accumulate on the air sacs, uh, and does cause mortality. So in some areas of the country, uh, there may be a need to, to do that. Almost, uh, well, I don't know of any commercial broiler operation that isn't doing uh, a vaccination program, either with uh, the, the Gumboro vaccine or the Newcastle and bronchitis. They are two of the uh, most... Uh, widely used vaccines other than, than Merrick's um, nationwide than worldwide. The problem with the bronchitis viruses is they can cause more problems than they're worth. And what I mean by this is they have a tendency to recycle themselves through the flock. As they do that, they heat up and get uh, away from being the, uh, you know, the milder strain of a vaccine, can come back through at almost any time. And that uh, gives birds some some uh, some difficulty because it never comes at, a, at an opportune time. It's always at an inopportune time. Uh, for instance, during egg production. So egg production will suffer. Egg quality suffers. Egg shell quality suffers. And we've been all over that uh, in in previous shows as far as uh, those things are concerned. So uh, the other thing, if you're giving just a live, um, then you need to come back and do that on a regular basis. And a regular basis would be. Uh, as early as 90 days after the first vaccination and as late as 120 days. So every, you know, three uh, to four months, you have to go back and boost this in order to maintain any appreciable amount of immunity. Um, a long time ago, we talked about uh, the immune system. We may go back and, and visit that in, a, in, a, uh, in, a, in an upcoming show because I think it would be worth going back over it. But what happens with uh, this stuff is that, um, you give the vaccine, uh, after about 10 to 14 days, the bird starts, builds uh, a, a, a viremia, which is uh, building some immunity to the disease. Um, the uh, antibodies in the bird's uh, system start to increase as the immune system uh, uh, you know, builds to a, 
a higher level, a, a crescendo, if you if you might say, uh, going higher and higher and higher to a point uh, where it just levels off. And then the immune system, um, not seeing a field challenge from a, either one of these viruses, kind of starts to wind down a little bit. Um, it can't stay on high alert for no good reason forever. So what it does is if it's not seeing that antigen, then the, these uh, antigen levels uh, uh, in the bird that's been vaccinated will continually start to become less and less, okay? Um, a, a good uh, way to look at this is that um, there's a test called a, a, uh, an HI test, uh, and um, uh, they, they generally uh, will give you a number, uh, you know, 1 to 8, 1 to 16, 1 to 32, 1 to 64, 1 to 128, uh, 1 to 256, and so on, 512. The higher that number is, the more antibodies that are circulating in that bird's bloodstream. So as the immune system does not continue to see those antigens, the Newcastle and the bronchitis, it is going to back those levels down. So maybe the next time you test them, uh, you might see 128. And then you'll start to see 64. Then you'll start to see 32. And then eventually when it gets down to 32 is more or less considered suspect. So you're getting down to the point where there really aren't a whole lot of antibodies circulating in that, in that uh, bloodstream because the immune system is not shutting down, but it's shutting down to those two viruses because it's not seeing them anymore. Okay. Um, as those antibodies wane and go away, uh, let's say uh, down to practically nothing, if the bird is exposed to those two viruses, um, other than a vaccine strain, a field virus, uh, it will take longer for the bird to build uh, immunity back to it and defend itself against those uh, two uh, pathogens. So therefore, uh, it is required to, uh, if you're going to embark on a program like that, to do it every 90 uh, to uh, 120 days. Um, in the commercial sector, they've gotten away from doing that. Um, in uh, egg-laying type birds, uh, broiler chickens are handled differently, uh, but because they don't live as long. But on a on an egg-laying uh, farm. Uh, they would give, uh, depending on the operation, depending on exposure, but anywhere from two to four vaccinations uh, before the birds reach uh, uh, point of lay with uh, live uh, Newcastle bronchitis uh, vaccines. And those build on each other. Uh, the first two, uh, depending on the program, again, everybody's got a different program. Uh, so, you know, it depends on their, their exposure in their given area. But let's say... Uh, you give a Newcastle bronchitis, so that would be a B1, B1, uh, Newcastle, uh, with a, uh, let's say, a Massachusetts, Connecticut uh, type of uh, bronchitis, okay? You would come back maybe in four weeks or so and do that again, and then the third vaccination would be a different one. We would use a Lasota, which is a stronger, different uh, Newcastle virus, and we would also come back and boost the uh, bronchitis with a different strain as well. And again, depending on the operation, depending on, on management, uh, depending on cost, a whole lot of things, we would use a Lasota, uh, either Mass 2 or a Lasota Holland, a much stronger uh, 
viruses, and uh, they would more than likely either use one of those live uh, or, or, or two of them. And a more modern program would be to come back and then come back and do a, uh, a killed, inactivated vaccine uh, after you've done all of your live vaccination to boost uh, the antibody levels so that they do stay up because the, the antigen in that killed vaccine is going to leach out over time and constantly remind that immune system what it's supposed to do. And that keeps the bird protected uh, for a much longer period of time, almost to the point of uh, when they're finished laying. So <clears throat> I don't know if I'm answering the question exactly the way the person would like it, but they have to decide what kinds of pathogens are in their area, whether they need to do Newcastle bronchitis, uh, whether Marix is a challenge for them, uh, and Marix can be uh, a little bit. There is some immunity passed on to, to the chick, and the problem with that sometimes can be uh, when you come back in and you vaccinate uh, for, for Marix, uh, there may be some antibodies there that may uh, interfere with uh, the vaccination. Um, it is possible, and uh, it is more possible with the vaccine that we use in a uh, backyard setting. We use a, a cell-free um, um, vaccine, the freeze-dried cell-free, uh, and that is easier for any antibodies that might be there to, to uh, negate the virus because there's no cell to help protect it, And uh, whereas uh, the commercial poultry industry would, uh, at this point in time, uh, uh, you know, not be using that type of vaccine. They're all cell-associated, which means the virus itself is actually inside of a cell, so maternal antibodies are a little tougher for it to uh, to uh, get a hold of it and and, uh, and negate that, so it just depends on what they want to do. If if a person is interested in it, they can certainly contact me and we can talk about it. As far as you know, what they feel their threat is and what the rhyme and reason is why they want to do something. Um, if if a flock is fairly well isolated and you're not bringing a bunch of birds in and out, and you're not going to sales and swaps and bringing back all kinds of stuff, um, you probably don't need very much. Okay, if you're if you're going to swaps and uh, you know your chicken coop is like a revolving turnstile at a train station, uh, you probably need to uh, take a look at you know what you're doing. And some of that might be done by by doing some testing. And, and I know a lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to get the state involved. And there are private laboratories you could use to um, you know to get a handle on what's there and then um, you know. M measure the need based on what you find. If you don't find anything, it, 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 I wouldn't do it. You know, okay. The birds that we have here were vaccinated so long ago that we no longer can find any antibodies to any of those things uh, in their system anymore. Uh, this, this flock, they were vaccinated, uh, uh, some of them 13 years ago for LT and uh, foulpox and that kind of stuff, and um, there are no antibodies there for that anymore. They're gone. And, um, you know, like I said before, we, we really don't. They're, they're a healthy flock for their age. We've lost some to attrition due to age, uh, age-related illnesses that just, you know, you can't fix. And uh, they come on sudden. You, you don't even see, you know, the birds are, uh, what we've noticed, uh, Tammy and I, is that you'll go out there today and they're all looking good. They're, you know, they're, they're all running around doing what they're doing, sunning themselves, eating and everything else, and they come out the next morning and, one doesn't look quite right, and by late afternoon, it's dead. And um, that's just the way it goes. And um, 
you know, those are the upper echelon birds, basically, that we've been losing, uh, like I say, 14, close to 15 years old. So uh, uh-huh. I think that's that for that one. Okay, no, that, what, what an amazing answer to Lisa's question. So I'm sure she's very, very pleased uh, with that. Uh, Riley has a question. Uh, we have done full shows from beginning to end on this question, but uh, so, so we won't get into quite as much detail because she can go back and Google Bumblefoot, Chicken Whisper, Bumblefoot, um, uh, Blog Talk Radio, and Chicken Doctor, and she'll find those episodes. But... Um, uh, Riley wants to know what are some ways to cure bumblefoot. The best cure is not to let it happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. guess that's not really a cure, it's a prevention. But um, let's first talk about some of the ways you can prevent it from happening. Uh, proper roosting material, um, checking the roost um, on a regular basis. I'm not saying you got to check them every day, but as they age and they dry out, um, especially if you're... Uh, been disinfecting and cleaning the the wood uh, that you're using. Um, you want to look for sharp edges and that kind of thing. You don't want your roost so high that when the bird jumps down, that the bedding material is stabbing them in the foot. And you have to bear in mind that we're you know you don't need a a, uh, a um, you know a half inch gash bleeding all over the place to get bumblefoot started. You just need a simple abrasion to the bottom of that foot pad and. Um, so that's some of the things you can do for, from that standpoint. No sharp edges anywhere, so it's not a bad idea uh, to go and take uh, a, um, a survey of, of your coop. Here we use an extruded uh, plastic uh, uh, perch material uh, that works very, very well uh, for our uh, flock here. There are no sharp edges, um, and the birds seem to do very well on it. Uh, you can take it off, wash it, put it back up. Still, no, uh, you know, no sharp edges to it whatsoever. So, the chances of having, you know, bumblefoot are are uh, pretty pretty small. Um, the bedding material it depends on where you buy it. Some places are cheaper than others. Cheap is not always good. Expensive is not always good. What you need to do is find one uh, where the bedding material is relatively soft. Uh, the foot pad. For a lot of birds, uh, you know, is very delicate, really, in a way, um, but it, it can puncture pretty easily. So you want to make sure your bedding is good. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of sharp uh, uh, pieces of, of, of pine shaving in it and, and that, that kind of thing. Uh, outside, um, you know, fencing material, they can get hung up on that and, and, and poke a hole in the foot real quick. Um, uh, any wire that you've got uh, uh Either on the, uh, uh, the the run or places like that, or uh, broken glass. Uh, don't forget these chickens dig, so it, it would be worthwhile, you know, to once in a while walk the area where your birds hang out all the time, and just give a look see and see what's going on. Uh, I've had clients uh, that uh, uh, are on old farm premises and where buildings have been torn down and everything else. Uh, one of the things about uh, living in the country with, for some folks is that uh, the backyard becomes the trash dump, and they dump stuff out in the backyard. They burn it and everything else. And what happens, the chickens go through there. There's, there's old tin cans and there's uh, pieces of broken bottles and glass and, and what have you. Um, you know, those that have been around farms a long time, they know that in many cases things that break on a farm get left right where they're at. Is not always cleaned up like some of the pristine farms we have in our minds. 
so a good you know uh, you know when I was in the military, I was in the air wing in the navy, and you know we used to do what they call a, a fod walk down foreign object damage walk down, and you'd have to walk the the tarmac every morning uh before anybody took off or anything looking for you know screws and junk and stuff that somebody dropped out of their pocket and what have you so that the jet engines didn't suck it up. Well, this is kind of the same thing. You know, you do a bumblefoot walk down in your yard and assess it and, and you know, correct things as you go along. Uh, uh, you'd be surprised at the, the things that these birds will, will, will do. And, um, uh, you know, I, I can remember here not too long ago, Tammy had uh, a, a, a old rug that she uses on the, uh, on the cat side of the, of the, of the building. And she was cleaning it and airing it out. And she, she, uh, had, um, hung it over the side of the fence for a couple of hours to dry. Well, we had a couple of chickens just decided it was just great to jump on that and go right over the top and get out. And we're talking about a six-foot-high fence. They, they usually will not fly out. We've not had that kind of thing. But, you know, things you don't think about. Um, and, it's, you know, it's easy to, to uh, for something like that uh, to, to happen. So those are the, some of the things that you can do preventatively because preventing it is your is your best bet. Um, to answer the question further, so if you've got a problem with it, uh, the problem is to address it a quick, uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, and there are a number of ways. Uh, uh, whether the uh, the uh, black scab is formed and a, a hard, cheesy core uh, has developed down into the foot, uh, all will depend on on uh, you know how long it's been there and how aggressive the bacteria is that uh, is causing the problem in the first place. Um, I recommend surgery as a extreme last resort. I know a lot of people resort to it. Um, that's fine. Um, I don't necessarily um, really condone that unless you have a professional help you. And I know you can go online and you can find anything you want. And if you're up for that and you want to take the chance, that that's fine. But um, usually, uh, you know, penicillin might work as an as an antibiotic of choice after you've. Uh, uh, taken this core out or the scab off and soaked it and uh, tried to get out the material that's in there. I will tell you this, the longer it goes, the harder it gets. Um, and that also goes for the mass that's in the foot. Once it becomes really hard as a rock, you pretty much have to cut that out because the antibiotics are not going to do that. What you're looking at there is cellular debris and uh, the uh, the pus and stuff that just becomes hard over time starts being walled off by the immune system. So you've got immune cells packing the area um, that uh, trying to keep this thing contained. And that's where some of your swelling comes from, okay? Once that immune system gets in there, the eosinophils all pack that area, trying to wall this off, trying to keep this from going any further than it already has. And uh, many times uh, the immune system is part of the problem because the longer it goes, it keeps packing that area uh, it realizes that there's a problem, and it keeps sending the troops to the area to try to clear it out. And it's not a thing that you can leave for the immune system to do on its own. It's not going to work. So um, uh, penicillin might work, uh, cephalexin, uh, amoxicillin. Personally, myself, I like cephalexin. I think it's a really good medication for this particular purpose. Uh, it's used in dogs and cats all the time for uh, skin issues. Because what you need is an antibiotic that is going to work at that level, at the skin tissue level, not one that's going to predominantly work in the intestinal tract like most of the other antibiotics work. So you need something that's going to be 
out in the periphery of of the of the, of the chicken uh, and down in that foot uh, doing the job and for the most part we've been extremely successful with that type of an approach it's worked out pretty well so um, again prevention is by far your best bet but once you realize you have the problem the thing is to deal with it as, as quickly and as swiftly as you can uh, and uh, you know keep in mind the harder it gets that mass uh, the, the closer you're getting to have to really have it cut out, and uh, then that becomes another issue. Okay, very good. We have one from a listener that was listening on Monday about the scaly leg mites, and Leslie wants to know, you talked about scaly leg mites, but you did not address how to treat them if it's on their face. And I think she left, hang on, let me go back down here to the scaly leg mite post that we did, and... um I think she came here, yes. And then a follow-up from Leslie as well. Uh, I listened to the podcast and heard that it's uh, Prometrin 10% bit the legs, um, but my volume on my iPad wouldn't go up anymore, so I didn't hear if you should dilute it. Also have silkies who have fuzzy feet. Uh, I also have a silky hen who has scaly mites up by her nose. So apparently she, double, double question, um, how to how to mix, uh, for me, from 10% uh, it needs to be diluted. Number two, um, about silkies with the, uh, the feather leg breeds and varieties, and then um, scaly leg mites possibly up and on and around the face. Yeah, it does have to be uh, diluted, um, and basically the directions will come, you know, directly uh, on on the product itself. As far as the face is concerned, I thought I said during that broadcast that, um, uh, you know, just dip it in a cotton ball. That might be a figment of my imagination. I might have been thinking it, not said it. That's a possibility. (laughs) But um, you would dilute it, and then you would take a a cotton ball or a cotton swab or whatever and just swab that all over the comb and uh, let it absorb into into that, uh, you know, the the comb itself and uh, the the facial, facial area. Uh, and that should take care of it. Um, what this person needs to be careful of is that they don't have favus. Uh, it's often confused with uh, scaly leg mites of the face, so she needs to be uh, cognizant of that fact uh, as well. Um, so, I, you know, as far as the di- dilution is concerned, um, whenever you take a break, Andy, I can look it up. I've got it in my computer here somewhere. That's fine. I'll do that right now, and when we come back, we'll, we'll answer uh, a few more. Let me get back over to sure. the switchboard. That is no problem. We're talking with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. We're taking your questions, your calls, and your posts from Facebook and Twitter. In fact, I'll check and see if we have any over on uh, Twitter uh, during the break as well. But there will be a lot more to come, so get that pen and paper, uh, keep it out, and keep taking notes. We'll be back right after this short break. You need an incubator, think Brensi, the incubation specialist. Brensi has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brensi.com. Brensi spelled... B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brincy.com or call 1-888-667-7009. 
Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Frenzy. Technology you can trust. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hensaver aprons today at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. Love Nest brings the natural goodness of herbs to you in your backyard with handcrafted organic blends for your backyard friends. Packaged in a resealable bag, 100% USDA certified organic, Love Nest blends come ready to sprinkle directly into the nesting R coop bedding and are completely natural and edible. There's Love Nest Chick Mix Blend, a gentle herb blend perfect for young chicks. Love Nest Layer Blend, designed to help support laying and soothe ruffled feathers. And Love Nest Critter Ritter Blend is naturally effective against those unwelcome guests such as lice, moths, and other pests. Ask for Love Nest at your favorite local feed store or visit them online at www.loveluv-nest.com and try Love Nest organic blends for your backyard friends today. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops 
and check out their integrated coupe accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coupe Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coupes because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at 1-800-720-1134. Remember, that's strombergschickens.com. How would you like a punch in the beak? Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken! Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Combox Bees. We're talking with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. And we're taking questions and calls from you, our listeners and fans. Let's bring Peter back on live here. And I believe he's going to follow up with a particular um, a mixture. The switchboard's going to work. There you are, and you are back live, Peter. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, the mixture on that's uh, 1.28 ounces <clears throat> in a gallon of water. And um, uh, for dipping purposes, a coat that would, uh, or anything that would, uh, allow you to uh, dip the bird up into uh, the thigh area should be more than sufficient and let it sit there for uh, uh, 45 seconds or so, maybe a minute, and then just toss the bird out and let them shake it all off. And then uh, uh, you may even have to do that again in, in 10 days. Uh, I like to do it back in 10 days to make sure that you've, you've got it. What happens with the Promethean, it, it absorbs into the skin. And that's exactly where you want it to go, and you want a, a quick kill, as we spoke about uh, on Monday when we talked about that. So if you want to do something with the face, you can take the in the comb area, uh, and you believe you have scaly leg mites there, uh, a uh, cotton ball, piece of gauze, piece of cloth, really doesn't matter what you use, uh, dipped into the solution and then applied uh, enough to the facial area. Uh, keeping it out of the eyes and the mouth and that kind of thing, um, you know, should suffice. And that you might have to do earlier than 10 days because you're not going to get the same effect of it uh, being there for 45 uh, uh, seconds or so. So, uh, but you're going to be using such a small amount around the facial uh, areas and stuff and the comb that it, it shouldn't be an issue. Um, yeah. But it, it works very well if it's done properly. And uh, okay, good deal. Sammy wants to know, uh, my chickens have white on the ends of their combs. Should I be concerned about that? Maybe white tips on the end of their combs. Yeah. I'd actually have to see it to really, um, you know, uh, give any kind of an opinion on that. Um, You know, depends on the age of the bird. 
as birds they age and yeah they lose and, you know they lose yeah the 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 more production they have as they uh they go along they start to lose the comb color uh, all kinds of things I really have to see what the white is that she's talking about. Um, you know, it's a possibility that, I mean, if it isn't growing and getting any worse, I don't think I would, you know, be that concerned about it. I would examine it and look it over, um, you know, see if it's, uh, you know, any kind of fungus or mold or something growing there. But uh, by and large, uh, I think I know what she's talking about. It's what we call a bleaching process. And um, there's no particular area that, uh, that the, you know, that bleaches on the comb itself, um, more or less, it's uh, usually it's fairly consistent across the comb. But I think I've, I've seen, uh, I think I know what I what what she's talking about, and the very edges and down into some of the uh, uh, some of the, the the grooves of the comb and stuff. The, 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 you'll see some some white in there, and it's just a bleaching process. But uh, I would just keep an eye on it. Okay. Very good. And again, if she feels like there's a problem there, she can always email me a picture of it, and I'll you know render an opinion based on what I say. Yeah, chicken dr at firststatevetsupply.com. Perfect. I'm moving right along. Eve wants to know uh, what's the best and most humane way to handle a broody hen if you don't want her to sit on eggs, uh, and what is the consequence of doing nothing and have them consistently go broody? Uh, it's a hormonal thing, no question about it. Um, I, I don't know about um, uh, you know the most humane way. Certainly, you, you, um, I, I think that uh, you know um, taking the bird and maybe giving it a nice uh, bath in some really cold water. Um, we all know about taking the nest box and making it a screen bottom so that it's cooler rather than warmer. Don't allow it to get the heat built up. Um, putting her in a dark out box sometimes works, but I, I've seen it where nothing works. I mean, it, it, you know, you, sometimes it is just a crapshoot. And um, you know whether or not you can get him to uh, uh, to you know to do it or not to stop it. Uh, you know, the downside of it is a bird that's that's it's always uh, broody. And not getting off the nest for sufficient uh, uh, food and water, uh, you know, starts to go downhill, um, you know, physically and 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 uh, health-wise. So from that standpoint, it certainly is is not good, uh, you know. To I, I know I know people who have had them like that, and they they go and they pick them up after a while, and nothing but skin and bone. And I know others that try to feed them while they're on the nest, and they they, they still don't want to eat. So it's it's a tough thing, but I think. For myself, I think I'd make the water real cold and stick her right in it. I'm not going to hurt her that much, especially this time of year. And uh, I think I would take mm-hmm. the nest bottom and, and make it so that the nest bottom is even uncomfortable. Um, and uh, plenty of air circulating in it. Um, see if that doesn't break her up that habit. And certainly don't allow her to sit on any eggs. Make sure there's nothing That's there. Right. Uh, MJ has a question here. Um, I just lost a hen to what our vet called a blocked gizzard. Can you give me any more information about this uh, issue? Well, um, I... I don't have anything. I don't know that they did a necropsy. Yeah. I don't know how they yeah. determined that. Nothing. Just, the vet said a blocked gizzard. And um, is this, you know, what... Any any more information other than the vet gave her? Well, I'll, I'll guess here and, and answer it in, in this way. I think what the vet is talking about is a uh, crop that doesn't empty and therefore assumes that the uh, gizzard is uh, is blocked. 
uh, which, you know, could be a possibility, but um, uh, I have never seen it uh, in, in that fashion. Usually, um, the uh, you know, we all know that birds that eat uh, a lot of uh, heavy bugs, like crickets and stuff like that, too many of them, uh, even though you know they like them, it's the old adage: if it's if it's good, you know, if they if they eat it, it's got to be okay for them. That's not so. Um, you know, we've had that happen uh, on the show here, where I, I, I shared information with folks about the fellow that gave them banana peels and had one bird go uh, uh, crop bound and couldn't figure it out, did everything, couldn't get nothing out of it. He decided to do surgery on the bird himself, and all he got out was a big banana peel. So, you know, just because they'll eat it doesn't mean it's necessarily good for them. So my guess here is you've got a bird that's crop-bound, and a veterinarian then looks at it uh, and figures that it's got to be the gizzard. Because there's no other way he could tell anything about the gizzard. You can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't palpate it. You can't do anything to it, okay? It's, it's, um, it's far out of, the, out of the way. And after the crop, it is uh, sort of counting the crop as, as, as one part of the digestive system. It's third in line. The next step for any food going from the from the crop is to go into the proventriculus, which is the true glandular stomach. And by and large, that may be where the problem is if it isn't uh, from food that's uh, uh, stuck in the crop because it's too coarse to move through. Uh, you know, there's only a small piece of, of intestine that goes from the bottom of the crop over to the proventriculus. Proventriculus being about as big as your pinky finger, maybe a little bit thicker in, in, in diameter. Uh, if you've got real big, thick pinkies, maybe not. But uh, it's no longer than your pinky finger, and uh, but it is the true glandular stomach, and it gets its controlling and signaling from the brain through the vagus nerve, which comes down from the brain through the uh, uh, spinal column and then branches off and goes to uh, uh, to the uh, to the digestive system to the uh, proventriculus, and it's the presentation of food at the proventriculus that uh, makes it open and accept food. Okay. So it gets its signaling in two different ways. Birds that are hungry, they're eating, the food comes down, touches the, the opening to the proventriculus, proventriculus opens up, accepts it, and it moves on through the proventriculus. Some digestive uh, enzymes and stuff are added there, and uh, then it goes on to, to the gizzard for grinding and, and distribution to different parts of the, of the uh, digestive system, such as the cecal tonsils and so on. So... I doubt that it's the gizzard itself, per se, that's blocked. Uh, it's either a, a, a combination of things, uh, and that would be uh, something too coarse in the, uh, in the uh, uh, crop to allow uh, you know, the uh, material to move out. And that can be a combination, bugs, uh, string, uh, paper, uh, um, heavy grasses, uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, certainly will do it. Eating too much bedding will do it. Uh, I've seen too much sand do it. Uh, the other thing is is that birds who are in the beginning stages of of, of uh, Merix uh, can also have this particular problem, whereas the signaling is lost because the vagal nerve is the, is the nerve that is usually uh, highly involved in, in Merix disease. So I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying that that is another possibility. And then after that, they start to go downhill, crippling, and so on and so forth. Um, Again, if that person wants to contact me in relation to that, we can have a discussion about it uh, at chickendr at firststatevetsupply.com. Great. We're going to wrap it up with uh, this one. Lindsay uh, wants to know, uh, talked a little bit about this uh, beginning of the show, and now we're kind of wrapping it up with this. 
What do you think about vaccinating older chicks, six weeks of age, specifically for Merix? Better vaccinated than not. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just throw this out there. There was a, um, and I've yet to get back to this particular individual, so she's listening to the show. I don't know if she does or she doesn't, but uh, there was a, a uh, blog on Facebook. I can't remember which one. And... Um, statement was made that a, uh, uh, and I'm not going to name names, a veterinarian Mm -hmm. from a uh, prestigious uh, uh, school that has a decent poultry department had told this individual that all birds have merics and that um, uh, birds can carry it and later show it. And um, it kind of rang a little bit of a bell with me as, uh, you know, say it ain't so. And um, so rather than just go on my own knowledge, which I know it not to be be, uh, be true, uh, I contacted uh, one of my contacts at uh, the Department of Agriculture Avian Oncology Laboratory and um, <clears throat> had quite a discussion about it, and, and uh, he sent me some research to look at, um, uh, which I had seen several years ago but really had forgotten about it. Um, as a matter of fact, the research was from... 2006, so talking nine years ago. Some days it's hard to remember what the hell happened yesterday, let alone nine years ago. But um, <clears throat> what really is happening is that in the commercial world, more than likely, uh, you know, a lot of the birds uh, are, are exposed very early on. Um, so they have a different issue, okay? Uh, to say that every bird everywhere, uh, you know, carries Merix um, is, is not true because if they're exposed to it, they're going to get it. Um, so what, what we are really looking at is a situation where um, birds who have been vaccinated, and the research is pretty much bearing this out, so birds that have been vaccinated for Merix uh, who are older, and this is an explanation for uh, outbreaks of Merix in older birds that have been vaccinated, okay? Because, you know, the general feeling with most people is that uh, older birds uh, or, or the Marix vaccine, you know, is going to give the lifelong protection. We do not know that for sure, okay? But this research uh, uh, led these researchers to show that, that um, uh, and these were commercial chickens, by the way. So these birds had been vaccinated but had come down with Marix at, at a later age, and what it was really showing that, uh, in the, the long and short of it, was that, Birds who had compromised immune systems and other health issues uh, were birds that <clears throat> allowed this uh, so-called dormant merix to come uh, uh, to to uh, to life. Now we all know that birds uh, who are vaccinated for merix, uh, especially the one we use, uh, it doesn't prevent them from getting it. It just prevents the symptoms from showing. So, therefore, <clears throat> what happens is when the immune system is uh, compromised enough than to allow that Merix that they were exposed to at one point to take over. So that's why you're seeing these breaks in older birds. And we went back over the thing of the turkeys and chickens. Uh, You would have to be sure that a turkey was carrying the turkey herpes virus uh, in sufficient quantities to render uh, birds uh, 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 protected against Merix. And it would also have to uh, uh, be sure that... uh, they were exposed early enough on to this to to help. Uh, he thought it was a bunch of um, 
uh, and he's an expert in the field, been doing it for many, many years. This is all he does day in, day out. And he's, he happens to be a, an expert on Merricks itself. And, um, you know, he, uh, poppycock nonsense and bullwinky. So um, not necessarily in that order. Uh, so, uh, and the fact that, you know, I used the Merricks vaccine and now I have Merricks and I never had the problem. Hooey. Can't be. And uh, so all of those things kind of put to rest a little bit. Um, uh, you're better off to vaccinate the birds for Merrick's prior to exposure is, is certainly a way to go. Um, you know, if you vaccinate them for Merrick's, would that then give them the disease? No, it won't. If they come down with it, then it's just coincidental. Uh, and uh, if the birds were mine and they were six weeks old and I was trying to make a decision to do it, I would do it irregardless of whether I'm on the selling end of the stuff. I don't care if you buy it from me or not. I've mm -hmm. said that on this show before. This is not about how much we can sell. This is about how much good, solid information that you can hang your hat on, and your hat isn't going to fall on the manure. Mm -hmm. Amen for that. All right. We're going to wrap it up uh, with that, Peter. Thank you so much. I know that our fans and listeners love it when we do uh, Ask the Chicken Doctor and uh, open mic for uh, get their questions answered again reliable and not having to rely on blogs and forums. We preach that until we're just uh, blue in the face. So thank you very much for coming on. I hope you stay cool. I know we're going through kind of a heat wave and I uh, hope you have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you I think next Monday. We'll uh, have you back. Be there with bells on. Very good. Thank you so much. Enjoy your weekend. Folks, that's Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of FirstStateFly.com. Visit a store online at FirstState.com. That supply uh, dot com. Come back. Come back, back. Come back. Come back. Come back, 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 Come back, From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Alrighty, thanks very much for uh, staying with us today. I want to remind everybody that tomorrow I welcome poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D., and our topic tomorrow is rodent control in and around the coop. Very, very important topic. We'll uh, tell you why uh, tomorrow. So I hope you can tune in tomorrow for our last show of the week. And uh, don't forget, two chicken coop contests going on right now, one in our summer issue of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, chickenwhisperermagazine.com. Um, and then, of course, on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash the chicken whisperer. Thanks for tuning in today. God bless everybody. Aww.